Today I want to share with you a simple talk based on a journal entry that I wrote about three and a half months ago or three months ago. My life felt like a chaotic mess and as I sat in quiet meditation one morning, the Lord really gave me perspective through four simple words from His Word. So let's consider together for a few moments the biblical perspective we ought to have as we face challenges, trials, and difficulties. I trust that as we read a few scriptures and I make a few simple comments, that the Lord will use this in helping you understand a deepening conviction of His presence and His work in your life. I'm not sharing this for a pity party. I share this because I think the raw, unfiltered life that you and I experience day in and day out needs to come to the surface, needs to be talked about, needs to be normalized. I share this because God is not surprised by these things. He can handle our frustration. He can handle our emotion. He can handle our disappointment. I share this because I believe that as we honestly bring our authentic and broken selves in surrender to Christ's work in our lives, that we will experience the redemption and hope that God wants us to experience through a personal relationship with Jesus and his finished work on the cross with us. So here's my journal entry. Things are not going well. Heath, my son's health is worsening. He's waking up nine times per night. The biggest line item in our budget, our kids' education, is increasing by 100%, not the expected 20 to 30% that we were expecting. And just to let you know, we needed to sort of immediately uh, research and switch schools in that. It was highly disruptive. Third, my computer just died this week. I need it for my work. Fourth, my phone has died. I also need that for my work. Um, some income that we were expecting, some significant income we just learned is going to be zero. What gives me hope in all of this? How do we carry on? There's just one thing after another, after another, after another. We make plans, but the Lord directs our steps. Oh Lord, you make the steps. You order our ways. We need to hold things with an open hand. And again, this is me in my journal. I've been trying to follow your ways, your guiding, acting with a sound mind and being spirit led. But honestly, doubt and skepticism are creeping in. And then I wrote a bunch of stuff on why I feel like our family is called to live and serve in Singapore. And then return back to lament. And so my journal again. My prayers don't feel like they're making it past the ceiling. I seriously wonder if I'm effective at all. Marriage, family, parenting, work. I question if I'm discerning God's will correctly. This is me just three months ago writing in my journal. Can you identify with this? COVID, it's been really disruptive. Maybe work's not going well. Maybe your family life is not what you dreamed it would be. Maybe there's a relationship in a state of despair. Maybe family members aren't speaking to each other. Maybe you observe massive cultural divide and conflict. Maybe it's a business deal that you've been counting on. It's just falling through or not happening or not happening quick enough. Maybe there's a coworker that's really frustrating to work with. Maybe you've got sickness, or your body doesn't work like it, it used to, or what you think it should be capable of. There's heartache, there's disappointment. Maybe you're looking back at, at the last season or your life right now, and you just feel like things are moving backwards. Maybe there's a temptation that just keeps tripping you up over and over and over again. Maybe you're plagued with guilt and shame. You wanna believe God exists, but he just feels so distant. And maybe, like I wrote in my journal entry, your prayers feel like they're not making it past the ceiling. Let's be honest, sometimes life just sucks. 
We aren't where we want to be. We're questioning God. We're struggling to make sense of what's going on. That was me three months ago, a professional Christian, a missionary, perplexed, confused, desperate, tired. And then next, in my journal entry, I wrote a question after kind of this lament, after just writing down these things that weren't going well, that were chaotic, that I was confused about, I was frustrated in. I wrote this, I said, so how then shall we live? And by God's grace, as I sat in my flat in a spirit of prayer with my Bible open, the Lord brought four words from four familiar passages to mind to bring me perspective, to re-anchor me on his truth. And so let's consider those four words this morning, and I want you to just identify one, pick one, that the Lord might be speaking to you through today. So the first is this. Number one, by faith. By faith. And let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10 for this. And I'll just read these verses for us. Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Now I can definitely identify with this passage as a foreigner who's lived outside of their home country, Canada, uh, lived outside of Canada for the last seven years with my family. So there's lots that resonates with this. Abraham obeyed not knowing where he was going. Can you imagine just heading in a certain direction, no map, no compass. I don't think they really had those things. Maybe they had the, the beginnings of maps, but I don't know that they had compasses. No communications, no video calls that you could keep in touch with your family. This is pretty crazy. And then he lived there by faith. And we know the definition of faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. I'm a very independent person. But slowly, I'm learning to be dependent on God and on others. Faith. Faith is this, this kind of uh, perspective where you're not going to know everything. You're not going to have perfect confidence. And yet, you've got this unshakable conviction that God is going before you and you're living in obedience to his will, even when you don't see the full picture of exactly what's going on or what what might not make earthly sense to us. Friends, we need to embrace the temporality or the, the temporalness of our situation and trust that God's ways are higher than our ways. Abraham was confident of what lay ahead. He was looking forward. He was propelled by something that was beyond himself, that was beyond his circumstances. Now, there might be a confusing or a desperate situation in your life. And I want you to consider this morning that this might be a setup for God to do something greater, for God to do something more profound, for God to have a breakthrough in your life. Let me try and illustrate this a little bit for us. You know, as, uh, as our family processed this change of, of recently having the, the price for school, and we live in Singapore, and all the foreigners have to pay for private education here, and, um, and we just wasn't going to work where we had intended to go. And so we needed to, to really quickly 
make alternative arrangements and, and get our kids into some different schools. And as I processed this with a friend, one of my friends said to me, they said, Russ, maybe this change is the answer to someone else's prayer. That your family, that one of your children would meet one of their children or would, would meet one of the family members and have a relationship with them and share the gospel with them. And I just thought, wow, could this change be an answer to some other prayer, to some other situation that I'm not even thinking about? My focus is so temporary. Do I have faith that God has my best interests in mind? Do I trust that he has something better in mind? I don't have perfect knowledge. And so slowly, slowly, this is very slow in my life. I'm learning to respond to interruption and disruption and prompts from the Lord and to see with spiritual eyes and with faith and to consider that his ways are higher than my ways. And I need to obey. I need to step out and I need to move sometimes without knowing the full picture, without totally knowing where things were going to end up, just like Abraham did. Story number two. Last November, I connected with a pastor friend back in Canada, and we were just sharing over a video call about our lives and our families. We, we don't really keep that much in touch. We're not that close, but there was just some circumstances that led us to be connecting together, and we were sharing with each other um, about how God was at work and what we were learning. And as we closed our call, we prayed for each other. And I remember praying that for my friend, that his family and his ministry would have an impact, would increase in impact in the months ahead and that it would impact the entire city as he spearheaded his church's outreach there um, at a church in Ontario. Now little did I know how God would answer my prayer just a few weeks later. And I'm going to just kind of quote from an article that my friend uh, published recently. He says this, what started out as a normal Tuesday morning shoveling snow with my 11 year old son and his brothers before school turned into a day of absolute devastation. And the reality is, as uh, my friend's son walked home from school that uh, November or November or December morning, um, he was hit by a pickup truck that ran through a stoplight where a crossing guard was helping my friend's son cross the street. And 33 hours later, this 11-year-old boy was dead. First thing in the morning, shoveling snow with his dad, goes to school, comes home, or didn't come home, rather. And so my friend carries on in his article, when my son died, one of the most common reactions we heard from people was that it was so tragic that he died at such a young age. He didn't get to live a full life. And humanly speaking, this is true. In Canada, we assume we will live around 80 years. So to have a boy die at only 11 is really sad. In a very real way, this is true. I am sad that I won't get to see my son graduate high school or get his first job or get married or see him become a dad. When I think about my son's life from God's perspective, he lived a complete life. Before my son was formed, God knew that he was going to have 11 years and 4 months on this earth. God knew the span of his life was 4,143 days long. His life was not cut short from what God knew he was going to give my son from the foundation of the earth. I got to enjoy my son for all the days God had chosen to give him. My son's death did not take God by surprise. In God's sovereign plan, he knew this would happen. And in some crazy way that we don't understand, God has a plan. 
the testimony of my pastor friend and the faithful witness of his 11-year-old son has impacted thousands and tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of people in southwestern Ontario. God answered my prayer for my friend for spiritual impact, not in a way I would have wanted or imagined. In a, it's in a way that seems tragic through our human lenses. But God has a way. And God used that circumstance and that event and that whole episode to bring hundreds of people to himself and to help thousands reevaluate their life. And so when life seems chaotic, my response needs to be faith that despite my circumstances feeling crazy, that I can be confident in God's plan, in God's way, and in God's guidance in my life. So how then shall we live? The first word that I wrote in my journal was faith. How then shall we live? With faith. Secondly, with joy. And for this one, let's consider James chapter 1. James chapter 1, reading from verses 2 to 12. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And so in this passage, I believe we learn that testing and trials of our faith produce steadfastness or endurance. And it's this crazy thought to think that I'm actually becoming stronger through the trials that I'm in. And yet my heart and my mind and my emotions so desperately resent them. And then this passage says that our trials produce for us a crown of life. And I did a little bit of research on this crown of life, and many scholars suggest that this mysterious crown is an additional reward given in eternity for Christians who refused to stop trusting God even when their trials on earth became difficult. Those believers trusted God even though uh, they trusted God instead of turning away. They loved God and continued to obey Him in their hardship. And so as I go through trials, I've learned that this is part of something that God wants for me. He wants me to grow. He wants my character to develop. He wants to reward me. His love is so deep for me that he knows what kind of pruning is best and what kind of pruning I can handle. And when I have this kind of perspective, my resentment, my frustration, my anger, it can actually turn into joy. And then it says, we're to ask for wisdom. We're to ask for wisdom without doubting. How often do we doubt? For me, I doubt all the time. 
I doubt God's plan. I doubt his provision. I doubt his perfect, um, his, uh, his protection for me. And so let's just look at verse two again. It says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Like seriously, this was a big deal for me three months ago. I kept like reading this and going, I'm supposed to be joyful in this. Come on, God, there is nothing joyful about this bulleted list that I just described and probably other things that I was upset or frustrated about at the time. I'm supposed to be joyful in this? Let me sort of try and illustrate this. As some of you know, our five-year-old son, Heath, has had some intensive medical issues this past year. He's got some skin problems and some allergies. He's had this really bad chronic eczema all over his body. And um, we've been using some steroids and those weren't really helping. And so we took him off the steroids and then he seemed to have this really adverse reaction, which some people call topical steroid withdrawal. And, um, and this just meant that he was itchy all the time. He was irritable. He was in a lot of pain and discomfort. His, it was just skin everywhere. He would itch and there'd these, be like these piles of dead skin on our floor that we'd have to sweep up. And um, it was a really, really discouraging and frustrating time. And he wasn't sleeping well. And we started to chart it. And he was waking up like six, seven, eight, nine times per night. I'm like, this is worse than having a newborn. Um, and so I was up with Heath in the middle of the night and I was just sort of like wrestling with this Lord. We came here to Singapore to bring the gospel to the unreached in the regions of Asia. And, um, we've been grounded because of COVID. We can't travel. We can't be with the people that we came to serve. And now I'm not sleeping. And so I'm tired during the day. I feel like I'm ineffective in my work. And I just felt the Lord impressing on me, Russ. What you need to do right now is to pray for your son. You need to pray for his healing. You need to pray um, for salvation in his life. You need to bring me honor and praise in this. And slowly I began to see that there was actually something beautiful about me being up in the middle of the night with my son. This was an opportunity to grow in prayer and dependence. This was an opportunity to bring my family's needs to our Heavenly Father to spend more time than I'd ever spent before praying for my son as I rubbed his back and tried to get him back to sleep in the middle of the night. And I wasn't to be doing that begrudgingly because in that moment, that was how I was preaching and bringing the gospel to my son and bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. I needed to stop doing it begrudgingly. This was part of God molding me into a deeper prayer life and into a deeper dependence on him. I'm not saying it wasn't hard. It was hard, but it was reorienting. And I needed to consider and ponder and and think on how can I shift my perspective from seeing through my own lens and the lack of sleep that was driving me crazy and instead to live with joy despite the tiredness and dysfunction of my situation. And so I ask you today, what situation in your life are you frustrated in? Are you disappointed with? How might you find joy in it? And I think that word consider there is just really crucial. It's really important. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. How then shall we live with faith and with joy? And thirdly, by trusting. Philippians 4 verses 10 to 20. 
How I praise the Lord, this is Paul writing to the Philippians, that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned about me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it was with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And then he goes on to talk about how the Philippians have helped him. In uh, verse 16, verse 18, he says, At the moment I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied. And then verse 19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches given to us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in every situation with a lot or a little. It's God who supplies our needs. He can be trusted. The source is God's riches. We need to live as if he owns it all. I was teaching one of my sons about tithing recently, and uh, this is Heath, our five-year-old, and he was just having a a tricky time. And uh, so I took $1, split it into uh, 10 10 10-cent coins that we have here in Singapore, 10-cent pieces, and I just laid it out. And I said, whenever you do work and you get paid money, All of this money is actually God's and ours to steward on his behalf. But we believe that we live on nine, as Christians, we believe that we can live on nine out of these ten ten pieces. We can give, and we give God one-tenth directly to the church and his work around the world through other organizations. We don't live with a scarcity mindset and with hoarding. No, we trust that God will meet all of our needs in a timely way. This doesn't mean that we don't work hard. This doesn't mean that we don't plan. This doesn't mean that we don't make our needs known. But we live surrendered knowing that it is God who ultimately provides for all of our needs. And that need is so key. And as we process this change with our kids and our school, um, we had to surrender. Our need wasn't the school. It wasn't the program that we had selected. It wasn't the location. We'd kind of worked out our life so that we would be within walking distance of a school because we, we don't have a car here. And that just made life easy. But we realized that in this, our need was for education. And Singapore has lots of great schools that our kids can go to. And so there was an opportunity to trust God that he could provide for our kids' education. And as we explored, we found some other great options that are going to work great. And so for me, the hardest area to trust God in life, I think, is finances. Because it weans my independentness. Um away from myself, living like God owns it all, trusting him for his provision. And so my challenge to you today is that whether you have a lot or a little by the world's standards, that just like Paul said, that you would be able to trust God in Christ's strength to meet all of your needs. So how then do we live? By faith, with joy, trusting God's provision. And lastly, I'll try to make this brief, The fourth thing I wrote in my journal that morning was resting in God's love. And I got this from Romans chapter 8, famous passage. I'm sure it's familiar to most of you. Romans 8, starting at verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us? whom God has chosen for his own. Not one, 
For God himself has given us a right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for to- about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so I think one of the big ideas here in Romans 8 is that we are more than conquerors. No distress of any kind can ever change God's love. We are more than conquerors with victory over sin, um, over afflictions, persecutions, and trial. We can glory in our struggles and persecutions because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We already have the victory, and we experience even more victory when God uses it to turn around our hardships for his good. And so no matter how chaotic the world is, nothing can separate us from his love. We can rest in that, and we can um, live in rest, knowing that Christ has already done the hard work. This is deeply uh, um, uh, countercultural and uh, perhaps counterintuitive. In my life, I just want to be the hero so often. I want to do something. But here we learn that the work is already done. And so we rest in the victory that has been accomplished for us. Four simple words that I wrote in my journal. Faith, joy, trust, rest, as I experienced the craziness of life. Now, let me try to wrap this up and land the plane here. These four words, faith, joy, trust, rest, these are not words that you can perform. They are not things that you can do. These are manifestations of walking in the power of God's spirit. They are attitudes of the heart. It's not about doing. It's about surrender. It's about surrender to God's will and to God's purpose. You know, our family experienced three unexpected deaths um, in 2020 in our spirit, in our circle of influence. And uh, that's just been tragic and hard for us as we watch that. COVID rages around the world. We haven't physically been able to leave this island, which is only 50 kilometers wide, for the last 18 months. Wars rage on in Afghanistan and Ethiopia. Governments are dysfunctional in Mali and Myanmar. Life is hard. It's unexpected. It's difficult. It's sad. And yet, Jesus is the ultimate example of suffering, of enduring hardship, despite not deserving any of it. Why? Why did he endure hardship? So that we might live, so that we might experience the redemption of a personal relationship with the living and loving God, the creator of the universe, who cares specifically about me and about you and about our circumstances. And he did this so that we can have hope beyond the temporariness um, and the pain and the discomfort of this world. 
the hope of eternity in heaven, in the perfection of God's design and his intended purpose for our lives is available for us to experience. Our kids recently have become fascinated with a guy named Nick Wojcik. Um, he's a 39 Australian who was mysteriously born without any arms or without any legs. And uh, if you just do a quick uh, search online for Nick, no arms, no legs, 60 minutes Australia, you'll see this wonderful 13 minute story about his life. And even though he's got no arms, no legs, he started a ministry called Life Without Limbs and he's traveled the world as a motivational speaker and follower of Jesus, sharing his faith. And I love this quote from the video on YouTube in the, the 60 Minutes episode on him. We are all going through something. My pain is just a bit more visible than yours. One day a light bulb went off for me. It clicked. This circumstance, there has to be something good. Now I see life as an opportunity. No arms, no legs, no worries. Imagine the Australian accent saying that. The joy of having no limbs and being able to be used in such a unique and powerful way for people. You can't give me any amount of money to even consider taking a magical pill and, and having arms and legs show up on my body right here. And I just look at that and go, wow, a man born with no arms and no legs who sees that as a gift from God and that as an opportunity? Wow, his faith is incredible that it enables him to say that. And so friends, despite the uncertainties, despite the pain, despite the discomfort of life, because of Jesus' work for us, we can live with faith, with joy, trusting in his provision, and trusting and resting in his perfect love. That's the message that God has been teaching me lately. Four simple words from my journal one morning. God bless you.